Good afternoon, Bethel Atlanta. Good afternoon. Woo! You know what? It was, e it was easy to stay around here, man. I mean, I've never had a culture that celebrates so well everybody. I've never had a culture like that. Am I the only one that kind of thinks that? Man, it, just, it is just mind-blowing how I think we were here for about two months before we knew who the pastor was because everybody was getting celebrated. I was like, is that? <laughs> oh, Steve. <laughs> Because everybody's getting celebrated, and that's what honor looks like, right? That's the way it should really be. Wow, there's some beautiful people in the house today. People, my family right here, Erica and, and family, and my mother-in-law's here. Wow, man. This is amazing, amazing. Uh, huh? Where's Jamal? Where's Jamal, where you at? Oh, there you are. <laughs> So, guys, everybody know my beautiful wife, Kimberly? Yeah. Woo! So, this is the man who introduced us. So, give him, give him a high five. Ha! <laughs> yeah, he's, he's been my friend for, wow, it's going on 20 years now. 20 years. So, we're in the Army together over in Germany, and he introduced me to Kimberly. But uh, we had a good time this Huh? Great job, right? We had a real good time this morning, and, uh, and I'm excited to share again with you guys. But what would it look like, what would it look like if every single person knew exactly what it was that they were called to do in life? What would it look like for every person to to not wander aimlessly, but to know that there's a prophetic destiny over their life. Well, I want to tell you a, a little bit about my journey. Everybody doesn't know me. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my journey, and it's going to lead back to what we're going to talk about today. You know, Romans 8 says this. It says that all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to manifest. All of creation is yearning and wanting for something to happen to earth through you, and it's just waiting. So that's our text scripture. Uh, if you need the exact one, it's Romans 8 and... <clears throat> Romans 8 and right around 16, but let me get it for you so you can reference it later. Because how many manifested sons do we have in here? Yeah, <laughs> eight and nineteen. So let me um, just look, tell you a little bit about my past. So uh, my dad was a doctor. He's from Jamaica, and uh, anybody used to watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air? <laughs> Imagine a Jamaican version of Carlton, like. <laughs> Like, that was my dad. Like, he didn't even speak Patois or anything like that. Like, he was just a real plain Jamaican guy, you know. My name wasn't Michael. My name was Michael, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, you know, but he was very detached from us. And so I'll never forget, uh, we were seven years old. Uh, my brother was six. I'm just 11 months older than he is. We got a letter in the mail, and the letter said, Masters Michael and Ian Edwards. 
And how many of you know master sounds kind of cool, right? When you're older, you're mister, but when you're young, like master is like real cool. And he said that I'm going to be by the house at 1230. They sent the letter. You know, it's very formal. It's very cool looking. So my grandmother, she goes and she buys me and my brother these little ties. And we had these like little baggy pants. Like this around the Miami Vice time. Anybody over 40 remember Miami Vice? Everything was baggy, right? Sure. So we was looking like Miami Vice. And I remember we just kind of went to go sit on the curb and wait for my dad to arrive. So 12.30 comes around, um, my dad didn't come. 1.30, the street lights come on. So my dad didn't come, and it was pretty devastating for me and my brother because, um, you know, especially my dad being a physician, even though we were really young, we just wanted that perfect house like everybody. You know, we wanted mom and dad. And uh, so this happened about seven more times. He would send a letter, we get dressed up, and boom. So I made up this little thing in my mind as a little boy. I don't know where I got this from. Nobody told me to do it, anything. But just a little defense mechanism came up, and it said this. I went this long without it, and I didn't die, so I'm good. So I just carry on. Anybody ever had that defense mechanism just kind of pop up? You say, look, I'm not crying anymore. I'm not going to be hurt anymore. I'm just kind of just tough it out. So I start actually going through life like this. I start going through life like for kind of I don't careness about me when situations would come. I couldn't shed tears anymore. You know, it was just hardness there, you know. So not only was I developing this defense mechanism, but also the orphan spirit was amplifying in my life. I couldn't identify with a father. I couldn't identify with a male figure being in my life that I could be proud of. So I'm good now, guys, so I don't want to <laughs> I'm just taking it one day at a time. Like, I feel really good. I do. So about the age of 13, uh, I began developing the gift of music. I began to teach myself how to play keyboard and playing in little bands and stuff. And then at the age of 17, uh, because of playing the keyboard, uh, I ran into this pastor in deep D.C., and he asked me, could I come play at his church? And I started playing at his church. Um, I played his church for about a year. And right before I was getting ready to leave uh, his church, I was getting ready to go into the military, he gave me my first prophetic word. I wasn't really ready to receive the prophetic word at that time because, because that little defense mechanism thing, I really didn't let anybody into my space, you know what I mean? So, like, I, I messed around, but I never really had a girlfriend, or I just didn't get intimate with people. I just, that just wasn't my thing. Why? Because I had Proverbs 4 and 23, guard your heart with all diligence. He didn't say guard it like that. But, but it, how many know it became an issue in my life, though? You know what I'm talking about? That hardness come? So anyway, I go into the Army, and uh, uh, I start working in a hospital. I was medical when I was in the Army. I didn't want to be a doctor, but yet I wound up being medical in the Army, like how you figure. And there was a guy that worked in radiology. I worked in an emergency room. And so after I would do like my blood draws and urinalysis, things of that nature, I'd go take him to him. And he was very knowledgeable. He's, I thought he was a genius. And he didn't tell me about Jesus. He didn't tell me about Jesus. He just treated me really well, treated me love and dignity and respect, kindness. And I remembered that, you know, he was a light where he was in the radiology. 
And so uh, not only was he a radiology guy, but he was 5'11". Y'all got any basketball fans out here? He was 5'11", boom, two hands. So he was pretty impressive. When you can dunk two hands 5'11", that means he got some hops. So, he, so you do. You got some yeast. So, so he's, he played on my team with me, right? So he used to invite me over his house sometimes. You know, it was cool, but he was a Christian dude. I don't want to bottle all that stuff, man. You know, me and my heart, heart, I wanted to hang out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'll never forget, man. I'll never forget. Um, so I, I got to the point where um, that gentleman who gave me that prophetic word, he gave me like a little thing of oil, like right before I went out to the army. He was like, if you ever get in trouble or anything like that, if you ever just feel you need to get close to God, he was just like, just anoint yourself with this oil. So I'll never forget stumbling down the hallway one day, and I just remember just looking in the mirror like, dude, you're really tripping right now. Like, you're really out of it. And I could like barely look at myself, and I'm just kind of looking at myself, like just trying to make myself have a right shape. I know that sounds weird. <laughs> but I'm just looking at myself like, my head is all over here and stuff. And uh, so I got the little oil out, and I, was, I just, just remember putting it on me. I was like, God, save me. God, save me. So I did this three times, did this three times, and the very last time, I really hit rock bottom this time. At this point, I was suicidal, not to the point where I was willing to put a gun to my head, but I was suicidal to the point where any kind of risky behavior that would help to cover up that thing, remember I talked about that earlier, I was willing to participate in, but I just didn't care at this point. So here comes Jesus, dude. So I'll never forget, I had some, some terrible activities lined up, and, uh, and he said, you know what, man? He said, look, he said, can I come by your room tonight? I was like, sure, you can come by my room. But I really meant to give him a slip and be gone before he got there. <laughs> so I, I, I remember shaping up my hair and putting on my cologne and stuff, and I stuck the key in the door. And guess who comes walking up the hallway, man? I just hated him, man. <laughs> he just all walking up the hallway like... And I just hated him, his sweater, his glasses, like, like I hate, now remember, I told you he treated me with love and kindness, but I'm just hating him. You know, something rising up inside. So he comes inside my room, and so I was a nice guy, and he invites me to live for Jesus. And I just remember, the next question he asked me is, do you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, up to this point, I was playing at God's church. I had been exposed to church before. I never had an encounter with God before. I didn't know what that was like. As a matter of fact, because my mom was a Seventh-day Adventist, I didn't have a grid for it. So he proceeded to lay hands on me, and I'll never forget. I felt like a baseball was in my stomach. And a baseball was just like full of light, and I just remember like it just beginning to rise. And just kept on rising. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, I said, holy something else. That's not, that's not holy. And it was just rising. And I'm like, what? what? Boom. I just started praying in the spirit uncontrollably. Like, I'm just moving all over the place. Like, I didn't have control of my body. And I'm like, what is this? And this is the first thing that came to me in that moment right there. Somebody say, I'm a son. The first thing that came to me was, I'm not alone anymore. 
This isn't the same guy who his dad used to leave him dressed and not come attend to him. Now I feel something. For the first time, I felt the realness and the reality of God in my life. And this is the deal. No part of my story did I tell you that we were in a four-wall building. It was from some, uh, somebody who was a son who knew who they were, who was presenting something to me. And what, what are the two environments I told you? We play basketball together. And what else did we do? We work together. I take my question again. What does it look like for people to know exactly who they are and operate in the space that they're in so that other people's lives can get changed? And many of us, I've been there, but being on, on this side of ministry, being able to talk to so many people, being an associate with so many people, sometimes people feel in a limbo phase. They have a prophetic declaration over their life. They know something that God has told to them, maybe just by, you know, you don't always need somebody to give you a prophetic word. You know that, right? Like sometimes, like something could just resonate with you, like, when you see Heidi Baker and all of a sudden you want to, what's she in Zambia, right? Mozambique. You want to go to Mozambique all of a sudden, like something about her just resonates with you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you see like Todd White and one of these guys and like you feel that that's part of your destiny too. So something in you says that I should be like that, right? That makes some sense? So anyway, I want to talk to you all a little bit about what the Bible says about some of the various ways that you can manifest yourself in the earth. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope to help a few people today. Now, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, I'm going to go down to verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To do what? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Does anybody know what it means to manifest? It means to display. It means to show. It means to reveal. It means to bring something forth for a purpose, for a reason. So it said, to each is given the revealing of the Spirit for the common good. Let's talk about what some of these look like practically. Let's go down to verse 28. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire to hire gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Wow. Has anybody ever kind of looked over at somebody else's plate and think that what they have on their plate is better than what's on your plate before? It says right here that there are differences. So if there are differences, that means our God who doesn't make an mistake had something specifically designed for you to carry out in the earth. What happens 
when you're that guy who brings hmm, a Jamal to Christ, my man. See, Jamal, Jamal and I have a lot of history together. Not just did he introduce my wife to me, but when we were over in Germany, we were like the holy rollers over there, man. This is my second time going back over there, and I met him. Yeah. We're like, I mean, we were praying for people all the time. I mean, miracles, all that. I mean, we saw stuff happen all the time, man. We were like unofficial chaplains. Like, what happens when you go lead somebody like him to Christ and he's impacting people on a regular basis? What happens when your witness ends up becoming the impetus for somebody to say, I'll lay it all down? That's what we're talking about today. And so some of you might be in the limbo place. Somebody, some of you all might say, you know what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just here right now. It's Sunday. It's the thing to do. I'm here. Well, can I help you a little? Can I help you? Now, there's a promise over the life of every single person in here. Just say, I have a promise. There's a promise over every single person in here. And with that promise, usually there's a prophetic declaration. And usually this is the way how we get some, some, some direction from the Lord. We get it from a prophetic word. You'll get it from music. You'll get it, you'll get it from that impression I told you about. And, or third, you'll get some things that just kind of resonate with you. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of like what I was talking about earlier. But in between the prophetic declaration and the promise, there's this thing that none of us like to go through. It's called process. Woo! Who did that? I'm going to do it with you. Woo! That's, that's where life hits. Process. I shared this in the first service, and I still mean it. I don't know how I thought about it. But it's really like, you know, like when your hair is, like, really big or when it's small, like, it's like that in-between stage. It's kind of, like, kind of goofy. It's that process. But what does the word say about process? Hmm. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, my friends. Yeah. Two. Eight and two. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, insert your time, in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, we know we're not under the law, so now we have new commandments. This beautiful letter from my queen. We have new commandments. What are those commandments? Music to my ears. Say that loud, Wayne. It will. Say that loud. That's my favorite. If you want to ask me what my favorite verse, there it is, right there. That's my verse. So having said that, if you don't know where you're supposed to be and you're in that process period, I'm going to give you about five steps. Let's, let's go six. Six steps. Six steps. Number one, you can be a person of honor. No matter what state of life you're in, I love honor because honor unlocks favor. The foundation of honor is this, agape love, unconditional love. In other words, 
I can't look at somebody in their attire or the way that they present themselves initially and then make my rating system on them. You know what I'm talking about? The two-second size up, whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm going to honor that person. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm not going to honor them. Does that sound like what a son does? Does that sound like kingdom culture? Because we love, everybody starts out as gold. Everybody starts out as a king when we first meet them. Everybody starts out as a princess when we first meet them. Because we're looking at gold in them. We're not looking to see how we can break them down. We're looking to see how we can edify. So if that's you, repent now. I will tell you this. I've gotten my biggest breakthroughs in my life from choosing to be a person of honor. Because every single person is made in the image of Christ. Every single person. And when I approach them, when I come to them, it is not my job to find out what's wrong with them. My job is to be that initiator, to initiate that prophetic decree in somebody else's life. Because when they come in contact with me, I want them to meet Jesus. You can be a person of honor with the foundation of unconditional love. Number two, you can be a master of forgiveness. Say forgiveness. forgiveness. Yeah, buddy. Everybody's favorite subject. We're going to talk about it this morning. You know, you just need to have what I call the uncomfortable conversation. You know what I'm talking about? The uncomfortable conversation says, we may have had an incident. We may have had disunderstandings. We may have had disagreements. But I'm coming with you in order to have resolution with you because my job is to connect with you. And you might not receive it right now, but I'm coming with you because I'm mastering forgiveness. Because the Bible tells me that when I forgive, my Heavenly Father forgives me. And I want you to have an opportunity to be free, and I want to be free too, right? Be a master of forgiveness. Somebody say, be a master of forgiveness. So somebody going to have a comfortable conversation this week? <laughs> I'm looking at faces. Listen. <laughs> You can develop a life of prayer. This is number three. Somebody say prayer. prayer. So in those early days, um, I actually got discipled in those first six months of being born again with that gentleman who led me to Christ. I would get off of work, and as soon as I got off of work, we would take off our military uniforms, and we would pray all evening. We would worship all evening. We would read the word, we would fellowship, we would have little juice and just drink and just, it was just every single day this. And this is what we do. We would say, all right, we're going to go get Rydell this week. Next thing you know, two weeks later, Rydell would be with us. We'd say, oh, we're going to get Erica this week. Two weeks later, Erica would be with us. I was born into a movement. But this taught me initially how I can pray and something can happen because I am a son and God hears me. And he's wanting something to happen in the earth. But sometimes, let's be honest, we say we're too busy. Look, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to pray for seven and eight hours for God to love you any better. It's a tool that he's given us. Luke 18 and 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And because that widow kept on coming to him, kept on coming to the unjust judge, he said, I'm going to avenge her speedily. So 
Does that mean that I don't have to keep on carrying these burdens on my back because he says, cast your burdens upon me because I care for you? That means I don't have to continue to rack my mind and try and come up with solutions, falling on my face before I finally say, I need to pray. He's given us that gift. So how many people pray? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Ah, Number four. You can use the measure that you have. The Bible says that every last one of us have been dealt a measure of grace in those areas that I talked about earlier. So if your desire is to be like a Sean Bowles, if your desire to be like a Leif Hetland, how much of the measure of it are you stepping into today? We're talking about process, right? Because he's preparing you for another season. See, I don't know anything that has a solid foundation that's going to develop in two weeks or a day. Usually it takes a progression of time, right? Can you imagine a worm turning into a butterfly in one day? Can you imagine? It's it's not formed yet, right? It still has a cocoon that it has to go through, that it has nutrients and it eats on the inside, things of that nature. The cocoon has to have be that incubator for the process in order for that butterfly to manifest. You look familiar. Sorry. <laughs> you look familiar. Sorry, I just, I, just a familiar face. But what measure can you step into right now? Look, if it's the prophesy, I, I'll give you a secret. Notice, since all of us are sons, right, all of us are daughters, we don't have to compete with anybody, right? So I'm being led to give this prophetic word to this young lady right here. And because I'm being led to give this prophetic word to this young lady, I may not do it in the right season, right? I may consider it to be wrong. Any of my Bassam students had that before? My fellow Bassam students had that before? Like, it's going to be wrong. You never have to worry about it being wrong. Because for one, you're not performing. But two, because you do it in the wrong season, she's going to remember it. And somebody else is going to come along later on and give the other piece to it. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, that we know in part, we prophesy in part. And when you're able to put all these pieces together, you get a composite and you can look back and look at all these words. I've received words out of season before. Anybody else received some words out of season? Like, what are they talking about? But they end up making sense over a span of time. Use the measure that you have. Number five, one of my favorite. And here's also when I insert my shameless plug, be in community. Ha, 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 ha. Be in community. And here goes my plug, Tom and Vicky, back there in the back. Life groups. Life groups. Look, there's never a reason for anybody to say that they feel lonely. There's never a reason for anybody to say, I feel disconnected. We have a tool here, whether you've been in Bethel life or a Bassam, for you to get connected. And guess what? If you've been in those things, you can lead one, right? That's good news. Nobody has to be disconnected. Look, Kimberly, she started a a group a couple months ago. Any of my 30s group people in here? Oh, yeah. There you go. 30s group, you know, they're able to share with one another and just put some people together and they're able to talk about some things they probably can't talk about with a bunch of guys around. I had some, guy, I had some guys offer to, like, cook for y'all and stuff. I had to tell them no. 
No, this ain't dating time. This is connection time. Co community. Be in community. Resist the urge to be alone. One of my good friends, he's, he's a wonderful pastor, one of the best teachers I know. He said this to me. He said, Mike, if God intended for us to be alone, he would have gave everybody their own individual planet. And it's true. Why do we have people around us but still feel lonely? It goes back to that whole vulnerability thing that we talked about earlier, that little casing, you know, not wanting to let people pass the defenses a little bit, not wanting to get hurt. But, you know, when you let that down, I got a secret for you. You can open up to the greatest loves you ever had. That's what coming here to Bethel Atlanta did for me and my wife. I think we were able to experience a different kind of love. You know, there's a lot of people out here who had the same kind of story that me and my wife had. There's a bunch. I remember when we did Bethel Life, it's probably about 20 of us. They were pastors elsewhere. They were leaders elsewhere. And they didn't just needed to come and rest. Well, we're in community now. We're connected now. And that's why I encourage everybody. Like, this isn't a highly evangelistic place just yet because we have a lot of us who are from other places who are here right now getting healed and filled up. I, I, would, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but I know I'm right. <laughs> I know I'm right. And I will tell you, one of the best ways to get to that next place in healing is being in community. We got awesome counselors here. We got a sozo ministry, which is an inner healing ministry. We got brothers and sisters. We got, we got transgenerational. We got like Will and Laura over here. We went to honor the life group leaders a couple weeks ago, and man, they gave us a prophetic word that was like from the ages. It was dripping with that I've been with God oil. You know what I'm talking about? Like I've been with Jesus type oil. So you get to honor that and being in that kind of community, and you're able to achieve wholeness for yourself. Amen? Ah, oh, one of my favorites. Let everything you do be done in love. Let everything you do be seasoned in love. So now let's tie this back to the sons of God manifesting. That means I have all these things in order. I got the prophetic declaration. I got the resonance of things that resonate deep down inside here. I got people in my life that's telling me way to go, that's spurring me on the good works. What's next? I'll tell you what's next. You begin to manifest in the areas that you're in. One of the things that we did that, that was so special when I was in the Army, in that intercession group that we had, we would pray every day, God, let your presence just fill the geographical area that we're in. Let your presence just feel it. And I'll never forget, sometimes it would be people that just walk past and they would just burst out crying from the presence of God being in a geographical area. There would be people that would just start just confessing their sins for no reason except from us just praying and saying, God, we just want your presence right here in a geographical space on the earth. That's what Acts 17 says, right? What does Acts 17 say? And this is key for all of you. This is a key for us all. Acts 17. Yeah. Right here. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods 
in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. That sounds like that God has a place, a geographical place, where you and me, us, we, we can be people that bring the glory wherever we are. It doesn't matter where we are. What do you do for a living, sir? Yeah, yeah you. Huh? Sprinkle work? Okay, sprinkle work. Okay. What do you do for a living, Brian? Home renovation. What do you do for a living, sir? Yeah. That's right. He's bringing the glory of retirement. <laughs> but everywhere you go, every, there doesn't have to be a limit. There doesn't have to be a place where I say, I'm going to cut it off. See, in Western culture, we're different from Eastern culture. In our culture, we look like this. We got church mic. We got work mic. We got basketball mic. We got home mic. But how many of you know it's one Lord? You got one body. So it encompasses, help me with that, guys, encompasses all of these areas. So there's no compartmentalization. He's Lord over everything. It's one Lord. And so that's what I'm encouraging today. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for you to be who you're supposed to be. But when I'm not forgiving, when I'm not honoring, when I'm not showing love, it's kind of hard for people to see that in you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I shouldn't be the only Christian on the job, but yet still be the nastiest person. <laughs> right? I should be the one when there is, there's conflict and there needs to be conflict resolution, I should be the first one to be the peacemaker. I should be offering solutions for people to get out so they could see something other than. See, the ruling spirit that's right now is let's, let's just be divisive. Come on, man. You get on Facebook, somebody say, I had a good day today. Somebody will comment on there, no, you didn't. <laughs> am, I, am I joking? It don't matter how good, whatever good, oh, God is so good. Oh, is he? Somebody would just write. I mean, it's just about division. But how many people are going to bridge that gap and say, you know what? I'm a son. I have an identity. I know what I am. I know what it is that I'm called to do. I know that I have an apostolic grace on me. So since I have an apostolic grace, I'm going to be willing to be able to move into things that line up with that. So did you know that apostle was not even a biblical term? I mean, biblical, what I meant was uh, a religious term. It's a secular term. It means that you come from one place, and you have a mission, and you, and you are to make this new place look like the old place. That's what apostles do. So did you know that they are fashion prophets? Anybody heard of fashion prophets before? They look at what the next, look, look it up. Somebody Google right now. <laughs> they look it up. They, they see what the next trend is. And they start promoting it. They start pushing it forward. See, I read that scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 for a reason because most of the time when you think about it, you think about it in a church context within the four walls, right? But you are the church. Every single one of us are a piece of the church. We're one body, but yet we're many members. Every single bit, one of us comprise a body. And it all looks different. It feels different. It manifests different. You know, it's funny, like, I was listening to this guy, and he was like, oh, you go to church, and they want to do motivational messages. 
Well, I'm going to tell you something. When you go out here, everybody has a demotivating message. <laughs> this should be the one place where somebody tells you that I can get a vision from God, that I can move into things of God, and I don't have to feel like that I'm striving for it. There's a difference between striving and passion. Passion comes from a place of knowing where you are. Striving comes from me not knowing where I am, and I'm trying to push into something. So it's all right to have a little bit of passion. Come on, man. Any Green Bay Packers hat fans here? You know they wear them cheese heads. Well, well, how come only in church do we not have passion? Only here. I bet I put the right song on. It would be Twerk City in here. <laughs> I'm t look, look, look. I'm telling you what I know. Because what... what when you don't have fire in one area, it's because fire is burning in another area. Remember I told you that. But the people who you're around need to see that fire. They need to see your passion. They need to see that when somebody has a disease, you're not the one being, woe is me. You're the one like my man Dion. Is he in here? We made the movie about him. He's the one that's going to go pray with him first. You're going to be the one to say, in Jesus' name, this cancer is healed. High five, Abigail. Woo! That's a survivor right there. That's somebody who's been healed. What about we have 100, 200 testimonies. We got about, two. I don't know, about 120 people in here. What if all of us had a testimony of, oh, we went out and prayed, and God used me in the geographical area that I was at to bring his glory. All the creation is waiting for it. And I just think that even in talking today, that maybe somebody in here may be saying, Mike, you, you pulled my card, bro. I just been kind of on the edge of the diving board. But it's time. Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. Now, I want to give you this encouragement. Isaiah 60. I pray that no one thinks that what I'm telling you is something that's vain. This is what God designed you to do. God designed glory to come upon you. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I don't know about you. I want to be that manifested son, man. I want to be that guy who works with somebody like me who 22 years ago is just going to be obedient in the area that they're at and be willing to have some boldness and some confidence and say, Lord, I'm going to let people know about you. Not just in my mouth. I don't have to have a big C in my chest and say I'm super Christian. I need to be able to carry it because you have this treasure in earthen vessels. You carry an incorruptible seed that's inside you that can't be contaminated. So just lift your hands and just pray this prayer to me and just say, God, I thank you for being a son. And I desire to manifest your glory 
in the earth, in everything that I do. Forgive me, Father, for when I've held back. But it's time to me, for me to break out in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.